Welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Later in the show, we will be hearing from Peter McCormack, the Bitcoin investor who's just bought South Midlands League Division 1 side Bedford FC and intends to take them to the Premier League. Just just the 10 short steps up the ladder there, Kieran. <laughs> That's right, Yes. Um, it's fascinating stuff though we've just done the interview actually and I have to say it was one of the most interesting 28 minutes uh, I've been involved with for quite some time Uh, Kieran before we start we talked uh, in recent pods about uh, Albion copywriting the name Albion and Posh Spice copywriting the name Posh and Peterborough trying to copyright the name Posh have you considered as a Brighton fan copywriting the one all draw (laughs) harsh harsh but fair um (laughs) Yes, uh, a, a really good performance. Um, I, it, we are, we are we're playing good football. We just can't stick the ball in the back of the net more than once in a game. Yeah, I, I, I had to turn the sound. Ed and I were watching it, your game against Chelsea, and I had to turn the sound down because he was getting apoplectic at the Graham Potter loving. <laughs> He's going to have one. They have only lost four games. They've only won two or whatever it is. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's do that. It's Newsday, Kieran, before our interview. We do have some news stories, and uh, I'm afraid Derby fans, <laughs> one of them is you. But firstly, tickets for the World Cup in Qatar are on sale, Kieran, for as little as £8 each. And I, I suspect that still won't be enough to attract many people to the World Cup in Qatar. Yes, these are the Category 4 tickets, and uh, they will be made available to people who are residents of Qatar. Um, you know, we are we are fully aware that the population of the country has uh, sort of the, the local people and a very big migrant uh, workforce, uh, and there's plenty of people from you know my area of finance working there and so on. So, so FIFA have given um, a significant number of tickets uh, at, at that price. Um, also, in respect of the categories three two and one it looks like the the prices are going to be lower for many matches than than what we saw for uh russia in 2018 which is uh which is a step in the right direction yeah um i I think england are are getting around about 16 percent of the tickets for the matches in which they're playing in um yeah yeah the draw hasn't yet been made but uh uh, that's that's a positive. You know, more tickets for for fans of individual of individual clubs. The the one thing which which disappointed me, having having read uh, some initial blurb, is that a third of the tickets uh, for every match are available for sponsors, yeah. uh, partners, or uh, you know the FIFA family uh, and so on, which. Which I think is disproportionately high, but yeah, the, the sponsors will say, "Well, we're putting a lot of money in, and you know, we're, we 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 can we can call the tune to a certain extent." Yeah, do you know what, Kieran? I have to say this, regardless of um, reservations about where the World Cup's being held, it's always good to be in a World Cup year. It's always exciting, isn't it? Always looking yes. forward to putting the wall, the wall chart up. Um, they're very cheap tickets, Kieran, and, and we weren't meant to talk about this, but compare and contrast tickets for £8 to Man United charging Middlesbrough fans 45 quid for their FA Cup tickets on, on it's uh, it's not that's not right is it 
Well, for a, for a fourth round match, which has been shifted to 8pm on a Friday, so therefore getting back to Borough will be difficult, is, uh, is, is, is harsh. Um, you know, we're fully aware that in the Premier League itself, there is a cap on away fan tickets at £30, yeah. um, which, which which is good. Yeah, it could be lower, but, but it's still good. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, Borough fans will be looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had some sort of to and fro from Manchester United fans themselves who say, well, yeah, hold on, you know, Manchester United... When, when they play away, they're always scalped you know, because United are a big draw and, and therefore the ticket prices are, yeah, are, 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 are accordingly. So you, you can understand that. But you know, what about three and two wrongs make, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. Um, you know, City, I think City are charging £10 for their home match against Fulham that yeah. same weekend. Um, Spurs are charging us £25 uh, at Brighton to, to go to their new stadium. Palace, you're subsidising the, the the cost of the the coaches from people from Hartlepool. So there's lots of Premier League clubs doing pretty good things, um, and the Glazer family on on the back of just paying themselves uh, uh, and the other investors an 11 million pound dividend a couple of weeks ago, mm. um, seem to be thinking, well, the reason why we can afford to do this is that Manchester United's just just a cash cow, and we're going to milk it. Yeah, Sellers Park's already sold out for the Hartlepool game, which is pleasing. Um, now, Peter McCormack, who we're going to be hearing from soon, is a, a Bitcoin disciple and did his best in our interview to explain the difference to me between Bitcoin and crypto. I'm not entirely sure it's settled in my head, but Gareth Southgate is seeking legal advice after his name was used as part of a cryptocurrency scam. Yes, um I fully, I fully understand uh, Peter's position uh, in terms of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is sort of the gold standard of cryptocurrencies. There have been over 1,000 cryptocurrencies who have, oh, which okay. have failed over oh, the right. course of recent years. So um, our friend Gavin Brown, who came on the show a couple of months ago, who is, who is probably the leading academic on, on the subject, he, he wrote a research paper and he says, well, you know, like all like all issues and like all products there are there are good bits and bad bits um but what we are increasingly seeing is football and people connected to football and also people from your industry you know the, the world of entertainment their faces are being used as part of scams um and, and if you go on to to many websites you, you will see this you know holly willoughby says invest in this particular yeah, crypto yeah. product and you'll become well it's it's now moved on to gareth southgate and i think the thing about gareth southgate is he has an element of gravitas you know he's he's very measured uh he you know we, we all know that he he's a very thoughtful he's a very intelligent man and clearly some of these scamming companies by trying to link their products to him without his permission, uh, putting quotations which he has not made into their blurb um, is is exploitation, and this this is part of the problem that we have with a you know with a with a uh, a World Wide Web that is is unregulated. That unfortunately it's it's full of scumbags and scammers. Mm. I've done quite a lot of work with Holly Willoughby. I like her very much, but even I wouldn't take investment advice from Holly. Um, the Derby County story, unfortunately, Kieran, is rumbling on and looks like it will do so for some time. What's the latest? Um, well, the the administrators, um, having done 
next to nothing in terms of public pronouncements for a significant period of time, um, lobbed a hand grenade into the affairs on, on Friday when they said, um, they blamed the EFL for the EFL said, we, we need some proof of funds yeah. for the rest of season. And uh, the administrator saying, well, well yeah, we're, we're the good guys here. And, and uh, they tried to paint the EFL as the bad guys. Clearly, we have the two outstanding claims from Middlesbrough and Wickham. Yeah. Um, and I think the administrators are, are trying to, to force Borough uh, and Wickham and some of the other creditors uh, through what is something which is known as a cram down, where you just say take it or leave it uh, or get stuffed. And if that cram down is successful, then I think that the the, the uh, th- there is a danger of a further fifteen point penalty when when the club exits administration. So I think the the administrators are trying to um, put put pressure on the EFL to turn a blind eye to the, the additional 15-point penalty. The EFL are responsible to their members. Derby County is a member. There are 71 other members as well. And the EFL um, to date uh, have said, well, we, we, we wouldn't be prepared to do that. Um, I, I did speak to a chief executive of an EFL club uh, a couple of days ago, and he said, if, if this is allowed to take place, we, we then return to the Wild West because it would effectively allow all club owners who are not trying to, to run the businesses on, a, on an appropriate uh, level uh, to just utilise uh, emotional blackmail yeah. as a way of trying to avoid um, the, the additional penalties which come uh, from from clubs going into administrations. So, so there's that. Um, there was then an emergency question. There was a session in Parliament which which lasted for probably about forty minutes. And um, Derby County fans, to their credit, they've been bombarding MPs. So yeah, they have utilised the democratic process to say we we are in danger of going out of business. Can you can you highlight this? Um, MPs from across the house, this was very much cross-party, were saying this, this Derby County can't be allowed to die. Um, and clearly that, and uh, the government appeared to sort of take that on board, but was urging the EFL, the administrators, the people from, from Wickham and uh, from, from Middlesbrough to, to come to some form of settlement. But what they haven't mentioned, of course, is there's another creditor involved, which is HMRC. Yeah. Now, if, if HMRC say, okay, we're prepared to take an 80% haircut, you know, we're prepared to, to reduce the money which is due to us. Remember, that money has been, uh, been deducted from employees' pay by Mel Morris, and then he's used that to to run the club to pay some of the other bills. Um, then, um, you know, as the next the next time there's an administration, exactly the same type of emotional blackmail will take place, and people will say, "Well, hold on, if it's happening in the football industry, why should football be unique?" So it's it, it's 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 an absolute mess. Middlesbrough have come out with a statement to say. Hold on, we're being painted here as the, as the bad guys. We were unhappy with the way that Mel Morris was running Middlesbrough in terms of his 
creative accounting, and, and you know, as I've always said, creative accounting is where you you are at the very, very limits of whether it's by the rules or not. Yeah. I've, I've got my views and other people of theirs. Um, but and you know, so so the fans are very upset. But there's there's, there's one set of people who who have not got a mention in all of this, and this is the staff. So yeah. again, I've I've been working. I've been talking to some people who are employees of Derby County Football Club, and they are saying they're getting next to no information from the administrators, and morale is at an all-time low. You know, they, they, they can't see a future. Um, they, they are relying on social media, WhatsApp groups, you know, all the type of stuff where if, if it's your future, if it's your pay packet in a few months' time, you, you want a degree of clarity. Even if it's bad news, people will accept bad news if it comes from, from a good source. So I think more could be done. Um, and you know, nobody wants this club to go out of business. You know, in my mind, Derby County are one of the biggest clubs present in the EFL. It's not in the EFL's interest. Um, there's also a danger um, that you know, we know that we've established where banks do not lend to football clubs yeah. for reasons which we've given. But you can buy stuff at the club shop and so on using a credit card. Now, credit card companies themselves are starting to get twitchy. If Derby are allowed to, to go bust and, and the credit card companies lose money, could it be that the credit card industry say, we perceive... Uh, professional football uh, at the EFL level in this country as being too high a risk and therefore we'll simply say you can't use your Visa card or your MasterCard. And then, of course, the clubs have got a problem because that's what people want to use to buy. It affects their ability to to sell merchandise and so on. So it's, uh, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess on a local level. It's a mess on a national level. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. It's good that it's being highlighted Lots of you know, there's far more uh, mainstream media coverage taking place. It was great that it was mentioned in in Parliament. Uh, Tracy Crouch, our, 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 who's been on the show twice now, and you know who, whom we think very highly, she she spoke very eloquently, as did many of her colleagues on uh, all sides of the house. But we need action. Yeah. Also, doesn't help staff morale when that same mainstream media is is assuming and reporting that Wade Rooney, he's doing a fantastic job as a figurehead at Derby, is probably on his way to Everton. But Kieran, I, I tried to clarify this on on Sunday, uh, but as you know, I wasn't feeling very well, and I think I clarified it worse. But I, I need to get this straight: Middlesbrough and Wickham are not actual creditors at the moment, are they? Derby don't owe them any money, but they are potential creditors because they might take legal action against the club at some time in the future. Is that correct? Well, they have instigated legal action. Right. So so there are two things to determine. A, is that legal action going to be successful? And if it is successful, then they become creditors. And they will say, well, we, we, we commenced before the club went into administration. Right. Um, so, so that's an unknown. Again, we've spoken to sports lawyers and they've given us their traditional answer of it depends uh, as to whether the claims are successful or not um there there is a case for saying if if these claims are successful could football clubs claim for poor refereeing decisions for career ending injuries by you know what what, from bad tackles um and 
Also, there have been many, many historic uh, examples of clubs that have been promoted to the Premier League who at the same time broke FFP rules whilst they're in the championship. Could we therefore have a statute of limitations issue? Can we start to get retrospective claims taking place? So it's a huge can of worms. Uh, It needs resolving. So so first of all, is it going to move or not? We don't know. We're not lawyers. Secondly, uh, the second issue is, are these claims football creditors or not? And, And why is that important? Football creditors have to be paid 100% and the unsecured creditors have to be paid 25% to avoid the 15-point penalty. Oh, dear. Um, Former Burnley owner Mike Garlick could regain control of the club if Sean Dyche's side gets relegated. You don't like whataboutery. There's there's quite a bit of whataboutery and there's a lot of whatifery in this story, isn't there? Yes, yes. Um, You know, I, I... I've, I've said on a couple of occasions, because I think when when listeners have, have said, what, what do I consider to be the, the best-run club in the Premier League? I've always pointed at, at Burnley, yeah. um, ironically, under Mike Garlick, the former owner. Um, Burnley was sold for around about £150 million to AL Capital. That was to acquire 84% of the club. Um how did AL Capital pay for that? Well, I think some of it's being paid in instalments. Some of it's being paid by Burnley taking out loans to then pay the former owners. And some of it has been through AL Capital taking some of Burnley's cash. When, when they buy when they buy the club, yeah. they get all of its assets, including its cash. I said, right, well, we've got a lot of cash in the bank account because we're, we're very, you know, with it. They, they, they clean their face all the time, Burnley. And we're going to use the cash of the club to pay Mike Garlick and his partners. Perfectly, perfectly legal. Um, but Burnley fans will will, will, will tell uh, that there's, there's not been a lot of investment uh, in terms of uh, recruitment. Um, yeah, clearly, they've just sold Chris Woods yeah. as well um, to a relegation rival, although I think that was down to him in a clause in his contract. Yeah. Um, but Burnley are not having the best of seasons. Um, yeah, they've been there before, and, they, and they've yeah they, they've Houdini like managed to get themselves out uh, normally uh, earlier th- than January as well. Um, but it looks as if Mike Garlick has a a relegation clause in the in the sale contract, which allows him to buy back Burnley at a set price um, should the club be relegated. So it, it could return to old ownership, and, and I think there will be mixed feelings uh, is the politest way of describing that from, from Burnley fans themselves. It, it's hard to tell if Burnley are in a genuine relegation battle because they've got about nine games in hand. They haven't, they, yes. They've barely played, have they? Um, Huddersfield Town's interim chief executive and former chairman, Dean Hoyle, says he ploughed millions of pounds, millions of pounds, Kieran, into the club late last year to stop it going into administration. Yes, and, and there's 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 a few there's a few parallels here, I think, with Burnley, um, in the sense that Dean Hoyle sold the club, or rather he sold seventy-five percent of the club to a guy called Paul Hodgkinson. Uh, and Dean kept twenty-five percent himself. Now now Dean historically is is one of those owners that we've seen in in the championship, in, in League One, who were putting between seven to ten million pounds a year 
into their club, in, right. into the, in their local club. Uh, we saw that with Marcus Evans. We, we, we saw that with Trevor Hemmings. Um, and Huddersfield were promoted to the Premier League. Two exciting years for them. Then things started, I think, to turn sour in that second year. He sold 75% to, to this guy called Paul Hodginson, who runs a company called Pure Legal. Um, Pure Legal is one of these uh, legal claims companies. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's now in administration, as are nine other uh, companies, I think, owned by Paul Hodginson. Um I think it's fair to say that, that Pure Legal doesn't have the the best of uh, uh, best of viewpoints from customers. If if you go on to Google reviews and read them, um, there's there, there's an awful lot of one stars. So yeah, we're we, we're not cynics. We're not going to say that the company appeared to be a glorified form of uh, ambulance chasers because that wouldn't be appropriate for us. Yeah, we've not used the service, um, but there seems to be a degree of dissatisfaction from the consumer base. Um, now, how did Paul Hodgkinson buy uh, Huddersfield from Dean Hoyle? It looks as if um, he was uh, he was using the parachute payments that Huddersfield had from relegation from the Premier League to 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 pay Dean Hoyle. Which, again, from Huddersfield fans, they'll say, well, you know, "Why why are we not reinvesting the parachutes into the squad?" It looks as if the money was being used, and certainly from looking at Huddersfield's accounts in the first year following relegation, the the, the value of the loans uh, owed by the club to outside parties, it looks like that's Dean Hoyle, they went down by nineteen million pounds. So th- this appears to be utilisation of the parachute. Parachute payments were not intended for that. Mm. Uh, so so you can, you can understand the degree of frustration. So it, it's not great. Um, Dean Hoyle has said that uh, the club is struggling financially, yet it's still receiving parachute payments. So he put £2 million of his own money into the club to pay the October wage bill. And um, then on the 30th of December, the existing chief executive left with, and I quote, immediate effect uh, with Dean Hoyle stepping into that role on a day-to-day basis. So he, he used to run the club. He then sold the club. It's all gone horribly wrong. And now he's back, but he only owns a quarter of it. Uh, and I think it, you know Marcus Evans, who is the former Ipswich owner, he is now being linked with that position. Mm. One of the perks, Kieran, or drawbacks, if you prefer, of um, being freelance is you get to spend a lot of time at home watching daytime TV. And Ali never gets tired currently at the moment. She's only back for a few days, but she never gets tired of me watching adverts. So have you had an accident at work and me going, not at work, mate, it's a lockdown? <laughs> she thinks it's hilarious that I say it every time. She really <laughs> laughs. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, Brentford are a club that are having a, a very good first season in the Premier League. They're a club that you've had a lot of good words for in the past, and they've published their latest accounts. Yes, and um, the the Brentford model, which a lot of people have spoken about, um has has really come to fruition. So in terms of the day-to-day running of the club, the figures look horrendous. Uh, Brentford paid £270 in wages for every £100 of income. So, so that looks that looks bad. They were losing right. uh, a lot of money on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, but the Brentford model, which 
is uh, the utilization of data analytics through uh, Matthew Benham's uh, you know beliefs and his philosophy, um, and also the fact that they run a B team as opposed to an academy, yeah. um, allowed them to sell Ollie Watkins and uh, and Ben Rama. Um, they made forty three million pounds in profits on that, and they got promoted. Yeah. You know, so they what what Brentford are really good is that they spot players, develop them, and by the time they've sold them, they've already spotted the replacement. Uh, so you know, so so Tony Tony's come in, yeah. and he was fantastic for them last season. Yeah. Um, they would have broken even had it not been for COVID. Um, you know, clearly that was costing them, and they'd moved to the new stadium. So you know, a bit like Spurs, probably never a worse time to move to a new stadium. Yeah. You've got all of the additional costs, but you're not bringing in the additional revenue. But for those people that say you have to, uh, you you have to spend. And you have to incur huge losses to get out of the uh, the championship. Uh, I think Brentford is is an example of thinking outside of the box and and, and utilising um, talent recruitment uh, as, as, a, as a as a means of a sort of as a fourth uh, income source because they do that every single year. Um, and th- th- I've got nothing but admiration yeah. for, for such an approach. And now things are looking grim at Derby, Kieran, but they may be looking up uh, for Berry fans because Berry Council have announced that they're going to contribute four hundred and fifty thousand pounds toward bringing football back to Gig Lane. Yes, yeah, so so th- there was a council meeting. Um, the the Forever Berry Group um, uh, have, have asked for some some financial assistance. Um, and and in the words of Berry Council, this is for the recommissioning of gig lane so i think there have been some uh, volunteer groups already starting you know, it because it, it has been left to uh, yeah. left to its own devices the stadium you know i think the groundsman has been on the former groundsman's been in uh, and has been mowing the grass on a regular basis because he he's a local lad and he's got this huge affection for the club oh, and, it's, and it's one of those things which which really do do make you proud to be connected to football um the council have said they are looking for value for money. They are ticking all the right boxes here that the, they will only give this this money on, on the basis of that there is a sustainable plan. There is evidence of proper governance at the club, something, of course, which we didn't see under the, the, the reign of Steve Dale. Um, and everything has to be lawful. So the council are not just, just giving them a blank check um, and it will be monitored. But again, a further step forwards. And you know, I think, think we've said that, you know, one team in Berry is is essential. I think the council ideally uh, are, are keen for the the two factions in Berry to to resolve their differences um, and to have uh, you know a, a team through, through which the whole town can can be proud and get behind. Yeah, I, I sometimes wonder where producer guy gets his information from, but he he seems to be adamant of this fact. <laughs> um, I just reads them out. According to producer Guy, Birmingham City fans are unhappy with the arm's length management model at the club. Yes. um, Birmingham City Football Club are owned by a a company called Birmingham Sports Holdings. Mm. Birmingham Sports Holdings is based in Hong Kong. Birmingham Sports Holdings is ultimately controlled by a company in the British Virgin Islands. Uh-huh. Now, you know, so so you, you you start to put those things together. Um, so it's uh, 
it, it is uh, it is Far Eastern investment. Um, there appears to be somewhere between zero and no communication uh, coming from the club. Um, the, the, the club's having a bad season, which makes things worse. Um, and so therefore, yeah, Bir- Birmingham fans are, are starting to get twitchy. Um, uh, there are some people doing some magnificent work. There's, there's a guy who, who's on Twitter. I think it's called uh, uh, Daniel. He, he runs a Twitter and he account and he just focuses on Birmingham. Uh, and he, he has an absolutely brilliant job there. But um, there, there is uh, there is a fear. You know, what what's the objectives of the owners? And, and you know, trying to get answers here is is proving to be impossible. What are what are the objectives? Are they looking for an, for an, an exit route? Um, St Andrews itself, uh, by all accounts, is is falling into increasing states of disrepair. No money is being spent on maintenance. Um, what's what they're seeing on the pitch isn't good. So uh, yeah. There will always be unhappy football fans because there will always be clubs near the bottom of the division. But it does seem that this is quite a, a long-term issue at uh, at Birmingham. And the, and the hashtag, which was uh, BSHL, standing for Birmingham Sports Holdings Limited, BSHL out, I think was the number two <laughs> trending hashtag in Twitter last Friday. So it, it, this, this is indicative of how football fans can uh, come together for, for a common cause. You, I I always think of one Birmingham City fan in particular, who I spent uh, a couple of very happy days with. The Gabby Cabby. He's a taxi driver, stroke poet, <laughs> who writes poems about Birmingham City. Follow him on Twitter. He's very funny. But it's right. it's it's. I mean, we love all football fans. Most football fans, and we we love all football clubs. But sometimes you get an, a, a, I wouldn't say affection because technically I hate every club but Palace. But they're a Birmingham are a club I really like, and when it makes it harder when you know fans of that particular club it makes it even harder a, a really good friend of mine TV producer is a Derby County fan and I just feel so sorry for him because he just he's not sleeping I mean that's that's how things are For that's the reality of all these people administrators and overseas owners doing what they do and the reality is people not sleeping and are terrified of losing their football club um, just a couple of stories to go Kira before uh, that very interesting interview and the first one is that the EFL is facing the threat of a legal challenge from championship clubs over its refusal to alter profit and sustainability rules post-COVID. Yes. Um, so this is a story, I think it was in Mail Sport. Um, and uh, what we have seen post-COVID is the, the transfer market has collapsed. Now, Many clubs, uh, you know, and we've we've just been you know extolling the virtues of Brentford. Many clubs in the EFL, especially in the Championship, are prepared to suffer losses on a day to day basis. And there's there's if, if you're losing money in the business, you, you have a choice of doing things: a you can sell some assets, or b you can go to the owners and, and beg. And, and if the owners are nice, they'll 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 give you money. Now. The, the first option, to a certain extent, has dried up because uh, the ability of EFL clubs to, to go to those, uh, those potential buyers, probably you know, in, in the bottom half of the Premier League, uh, but also the overseas market, that has significantly diminished. So, so that option for those clubs has, has, is no longer there. Um, certainly there were some, some comments from Bristol City's chief executive, Richard Gould, to say, you know, we really have been hit by this. I'm not, we don't know whether, Richard, whether, whether Bristol City are one of these clubs who, who want the, 
the EFL to uh, consider a change to the FFP, now known as profitability and sustainability rules. But uh, you know, what's it, what, what's the point of having a championship next season where? Within two or three months, we you know we're running stories, and we've got eight clubs who've got points deductions uh, because of the the collapse of the transfer market. So, in order for the rules to change, uh, and, and th- th- there has to be a vote, whether there's uh, enough clubs to to want to vote, because everybody's going to vote in their own self interest. You know, so those clubs that have just come down from the Premier League itself, they've got the benefit of parachute payments. They might say, "Well, that this gives us an advantage over the existing clubs in in the, in the Championship." Um, rates to be seen, but yeah, as as before, it's it, it's a mess, um, and uh, it, it's it's going to be a challenge for both the EFL and individual clubs. Yeah. Uh, finally, Kieran, eight members of the Eastbourne Borough Board of Directors have resigned. That's quite an impressive number of resignations in one day, isn't it? It, it, it is, and it, and it, and in to- on top of that, the company secretary and the commercial manager all resigned. I think I think this took place at around about six pm on Saturday. Um, ironically, after Eastbourne Borough winning, and Eastbourne Borough are in the National League South. Um, they they are a club who who struggled a, a few years ago when they lost their main sponsor. Mm. A new owner came in. Uh, it's the club is effectively run as as a CIC, which is sort of a uh, a community interest company. Um, it's it's owned partially by something called the Acorns Charitable Trust. And having having community interest organisations uh, is fantastic at many levels, but it can lead to personality conflicts and by the sounds of this um there there's been an almighty fallout between people um and and of course there's there's a danger that if you lose your board of directors you lose their skill set um how long is it going to take before we get new people coming in uh that's uncertain and and there's that risk of of clearly losing the club uh, altogether now you know I, i live quite close to to eastbourne uh, you know, it's it, it's uh, it, it's a small town, but you know we've always said non-league football is absolutely fantastic, um, and uh, it, it's indicative that lots of clubs are being run on the basis of a wing and a prayer with, with local people chipping in. But when they start to fall out, things can go terribly wrong. Interview time, Kieran. Um, Peter McCormack is the new owner of Bedford FC, and Peter is. I think it's fair to say a disciple of Bitcoin and his plan, his ambition is that Bitcoin will take that club from South Midlands League Division 1 to the Premier League. How could we not talk to him? Peter, thank you for joining us this morning. Before we talk about your plans for your hometown club, I believe you are the first person ever to fund a takeover by Bitcoin. Uh, why is that a good thing? And can you give us a rough idea of how much the amount translates into traditional money? Well, the club hasn't been financed by uh, taking over with uh, Bitcoin. I've, I financed it the takeover just with my own private funds, uh, which have been earned through having a podcast, which is about Bitcoin. But no, I, I financed it, uh, You know, the, the sale of the club I'd be paying for with uh, hard British pounds, uh, but there is an intrinsic link between Bitcoin and the club, which 
I want I want to explain to you. It's one of the reasons I wanted it to come on and talk to you guys because I wanted it to be clear what it is and what it isn't because yeah. there is a lot of confusion about this, especially for people who don't fully understand this world. Me, yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons I'm pleased to talk to you. Um, well, let, let's do that now then because I, I was going to put that question to you by saying because Bradford City recently rejected a, a takeover bid by a, a crypto group. So mm-hmm. just tell us then, what is the difference between Bitcoin and crypto? Because I, I have to admit, sometimes when Kieran explains it, I do glaze over a little bit because it's, it is quite a difficult uh, distinction to make for some people. Yeah, and in, in the world of cryptocurrency, there's like an ongoing battle between what are considered Bitcoin maximalists, which are the people who only care about the cryptocurrency Bitcoin, and then the people who are involved in the wider crypto community where there's you know, there's a there's a few big players, but there's thousands and thousands of these coins uh let's talk about the birth of bitcoin what it is and what it means bitcoin was created as a decentralized form of money which means a form of money that nobody controls that means the government doesn't control it so at the moment the fig i think the figures just came out today of 5.4 percent inflation in the uk and that's a result of government spending we can argue the toss whether it is overspending during covid but inflation comes generally from an increase in the money supply it is a bit more complicated than that but an increase in the money supply will drive inflation where whereas bitcoin can never be inflated it's a 21 million fixed limit currency uh, it's decentralized nobody controls it nobody can switch it off and it means anybody can send money to each other and it was designed over uh, by somebody we don't actually know who they are satoshi nakamoto uh, but there was a series of people attempting to do these cypherpunks who wanted to create a form of money that was honest, that wasn't controlled by anybody else. And Bitcoin was the first time this became successful. Hmm. And it means a lot to the people involved in Bitcoin because they care about honest money, good, sound money. When you look at countries outside of the UK, look at Turkey at the moment where the currency is collapsing or Lebanon where the currency has collapsed. Bitcoin has become a lifeboat for these people who've been able to put some of their money into Bitcoin to protect their wealth. Because when you get 20, 30, 40% inflation, it you know, not only destroys countries, but it destroys the lives of the people in those countries. Hmm. Um, so that's Bitcoin. But there are all these other cryptocurrencies and DAOs and NFTs and all these ideas of creating these systems, which I would say are not really decentralized like Bitcoin is. They are more centralized and they're they operate more like companies. I've I've got no interest in any of those. I focus my entire career on Bitcoin, what it does for the world. My podcast is focused on that, and I've I'm also a filmmaker. I've, I've been out to a few countries and made films about Bitcoin. So the difference between us and say Bradford is that I don't actually I'm not actually requiring anyone to buy any Bitcoin or use Bitcoin for the operation of the club. It's really a position I'm in where I can leverage the community for what my goal is, is to bring league football to Bedford. Yeah. Whereas something like the Bradford was uh, some Americans, I, I believe, who had this idea yeah. of creating uh, you know, a bunch of crypto-based products which they would use to run the club with and you know, maybe doing fan tokens, which I found generally quite gross, or mm. where people have tried these DAOs to have uh, the, the decision-making of clubs run by a group of people, which I think is moronic. Uh, and then also the sale of these NFTs, which I've kind of little to no interest. It's a, it's I understand like why people find it fun. Again, it's just not me. I'm I'm focused purely on Bitcoin, which to me is sound money, um, and I'm leveraging my platform that I've created as a Bitcoin podcaster and filmmaker and the community to to create a commercial model that allows me to try and bring league football to Bedford. 
Yeah, don't don't get me started on fan tokens. And and you're you're hoping before we talk about the football, you're hoping that what you call the global Bitcoin community will buy into the project at Bedford, aren't you? I mean, it's already happening. Um, if we there's like two couple of different levels on this. There's the sponsorship side of things. So I've been going out to various companies within the space trying to sell sponsorship, and you know, I've been fairly successful so far. I think my run right now is seven hundred fifty thousand pound in sponsorship wow. sold in yeah in the first four weeks. Which for a team in the tenth tier of football, which had a fifteen thousand pound budget last year, is a real game changer. And then second to that, what I want to do is leverage the community of Bitcoiners to get behind this, have a team to get behind. Again, I'm having quite a bit of success with that. Uh, and it's very early days, but you know, I've got people around the world who listen to my podcast, who follow me on Twitter, again, quite excited by this. We streamed a game uh, We streamed a game last Saturday, and I think we had about 250 people watching that stream for our first game, which was very cool. But I obviously want to get that to the point where it's thousands of people. You You initially tried to buy Bedford Town, didn't you? Why did they turn you yeah. down? Uh, I, I mean, if I think the reason they turned me down is I think John Taylor, the the chairman over there, he wants to do what I want to do. You know, he wants to bring league football to Bedford, and yeah. I think it's just a bit too early for him to give up that project. Uh, we, you know, we had three or four good conversations. I explained, you know, what I think I could do and how I could support the club. Uh, I made an offer for the club. Uh, which uh, was eventually rejected. But I think the reason it was rejected is, you know, it's quite clear is that I would be bringing in my own team and um, yeah. John wouldn't be involved. He, you know, he could stay involved in the club, but he wouldn't be involved in the running of the club. And I, th- I just don't think it was the right time for him. And, you know, I don't hold any grudges. I, I, he's done a great job this season. The team is uh, top of the, the, the division they're in and, you know, looking good for promotion. I just don't, I think, I don't think they have the commercial model that will be sustainable to get them in the football league though. So you've done, what a lot of people would love to do, Peter, you've bought your hometown club or one of your hometown clubs. Do you still plan to rename and rebrand the club? And if so, why? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. So uh, the name side of things really it was a it was a bit of a joke. What happened was I was out in the US in Miami uh, working on the idea with uh, potential investors, and uh, I I'd seen what Beckham had done with Inter Miami, and I I'd made a joke. I said, like, wouldn't it be funny if we called it Inter Bedford? <laughs> and then it just, it, but just as a name, it, it didn't really sound right. So, like, as a, we, it was really just like a project name. We just said, we'll call it Rail Bedford. And then it kind of stuck. And, and we thought it was just kind of funny to, to have this name. But I, I'm also like feeling the bit of a backlash from people thinking it's, uh, it's a bit of a stupid name. But, but the plan is if I'd have bought Bedford Town, the name wouldn't have changed. It would have stayed as Bedford Town. Yeah. Uh, there's very little I would have changed because it does have this long history. It does have its, you know, it's had a couple of uh, giant killings or experiences in the FA Cup where you know they got a draw with Arsenal and I think they beat Newcastle once. And it does have this long history, and I, I wouldn't have done that for the club. I would have proposed to the fans the idea of maybe changing the club colours because of the appeal to inter- international audience. But but with um, Bedford FC, I mean, the, the the name has changed a couple of times before. It really is a even though it has some history, it really is a club where the only fans are mainly people who come to watch their family play. It doesn't really get 500 people like Bevertown does yeah, it. Yeah. You know, we, we do we'll get 20 people. So for me, it was it was almost like a blank canvas to create a club, which I think could get us into the Football League. And, you know, there, there are some things I want to do that I think traditional football people won't like. Um, but in the end, one of the things I've realized, like, Whatever you think about football, non-league football, they are two things. They they are a business and they are a brand. 
And if I want to bring league football to Bedford, then it has to be a, a successful business and it has to be a brand that appeals to people. And I know there were that people will have turned their nose up, but there are so many clubs out there struggling financially to come with a new idea or new ideas where you can create sustainable football for your local town, get league football and also drive grassroots football. I think I, 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 I'll just take those uh, criticisms and just uh, let them bounce off me. I think you made the right choice with the with the name into Bedford. Sounds like something the guard on the train would say as you're arriving at the station. But what, yeah. so what 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 are some of the things? Then you say you're going to do some things that traditional football fans won't like. So give me some examples of what they might be. Well, I, I treat firstly thinking of it as a brand. I mean, right. one yeah. of the things that brand, I think, yeah. yeah, I think one of the things that. Uh, local teams struggle with is that essentially their catchment area of revenue is is what a few miles from wherever the club is or the town it's who who in that town is going to come to the club and, and buy a ticket and buy a burger and maybe buy a shirt and 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 you know football finances you'll know far better than me that they're tough and it's driven by player wages and it's a real struggle for a lot of a lot of clubs um but Bedford is the size of a town that deserves to have league football. We've got a population of 174,000 people. It's nearly double Burnley. And, you know, we can support a league club. And in terms of other bigger clubs, there's not many near us. We have Luton, we have Cambridge, we have Watford but and Milton Keynes. But Bedford itself is its own town and it can support a team. So, But it still has that struggle of getting people along to the game and spending enough money. So... I just put together a plan and my plan was that I'm in this fortunate position that I have this platform where you know, over a million uh, downloads of my podcast a month and half a million followers on Twitter. I have people who get behind this idea of Bitcoin and want to support Bitcoin projects. That would, to me was the, the thing that I said, okay, I can actually build a commercial model here where in terms of revenue wise, we can do something which is almost unheard of for a, a club our size. Um, I mean, if you, th- if, you know, if I've closed seven hundred fifty thousand pounds in sponsorship right now, you know, that sh- could, should be. I think they'll get to a million by the end of the season, which is you know, oh. above our target. If you had merchandise and uh, match day revenue and uh, shirt sales, I mean, we could probably sell thousands of shirts. We we could probably do one point five million in revenue, which I think that's probably eight to ten times what say maybe Bedford Town would do, and then that puts us in a position where, firstly, we can go and get a good manager and sign the best players to give that chance to get up through the divisions. But it also means we can put money into local football. We're already talking about building an academy, starting a women's team, starting a youth setup. So that commercial model allows that, but that commercial is built on the idea that we're building a brand that isn't just a Bedford brand. It is a Bedford brand and an international brand. And I think some traditional f- football purists just won't like that at all. Yeah, I'd like to bring Kieran in here. Uh, Kieran, as Peter says, this is a new commercial model, but these are pretty impressive numbers he's talking about already, aren't they? Uh, certainly. I mean, this is this is in line with uh, the revenues that, that many clubs in the National League would be delighted to uh, be, be generating. So you know, at Tier 10, uh, it, it's it's unheard of. Um, and, and in terms of building an international brand, well, Manchester United are an international brand. Chelsea are, Liverpool are. Uh, if you if we talk to the people at both our clubs at, at Palace and Brighton, they'll say, "Well, we want to in, in, increase our international appeal." So I think Peter is is taking an alternative approach, but uh, it certainly is a lot of merit. And um, Peter, you already, you already have international supporters clubs, didn't you? 
Yeah, so I've had uh, I put it out there to the community people who listen to my podcast, and I had seventy people uh, get in touch who wanted to start them up. Now these are individuals at the moment who I have in a Telegram group. I'm coordinating, uh, but we're not going to do too much with this before the end of the season. What we're doing is streaming some games live, so they can you know so they can follow it. So tonight's game will be uh, streamed on YouTube, so they can watch it. And then what I've done is I've put somebody in place to run the supporters clubs. You know, when we have our merchandise by the end of the season, we want to be sending them out flags and stickers and you know T-shirts. And then hopefully we'll be getting them to arrange meetups in there, you know, where they are. So I'm, I'm going to be out in LA in a couple of weeks. There's a supporters club there. There's a game on while I'm there. So we're going to try and find a pub to get that stream to get a bunch of people down. And there's a, there's a real interest in football in british football right now especially from um, americans and it's the ted lasso effect which i know some people love and some people hate but they really like the idea of <laughs> british football and you know if i can if i can get a bunch of you know people in america whether it's thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to get behind this club you know, I, I struggle to see the downside I, I know americans and their view on football can be annoying they call it soccer they don't understand the rules etc but if those people are you know buying memberships and buying shirts and that's driving revenue into my club, which is driving grassroots football in Bedford, I don't see a downside. The only downside is for people who are maybe a little bit jealous or don't understand it or or just want to be cynical about cynical about things like this. Yeah, I was hoping uh, – I know what your Twitter name is, so I was hoping we could get through this whole interview without mentioning Ted Lasso because, as you may know, one, one of the presenters of this pod was uh, turned down for a role in Ted Lasso playing himself. So it's a <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a sore spot for me. But um, in our introduction, Peter, we talked about your your ambition, your laudable ambition, and, and your enthusiasm for Bedford FC is is infectious. But regardless of what you say about the size of the town, it's traditionally a rugby town. Your average home attendance is is in double figures. Do you genuinely believe you can take them to the football league, the national league, let alone the Premier League? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. I, I do. I mean, look, it's a traditionally a rugby town because uh, I think there's a couple of factors. I don't think anybody has ever got behind the football who's been able to build the model that works. Yeah, there's a lot of towns which have rugby and football, or rugby or football, but there's a lot of people here who also do like football. All, all my friends like football. Whilst we're traditionally a rugby town, it doesn't mean there aren't thousands and thousands of people here who like football. They just haven't had the right thing to get behind. The rugby club has its advantage in that it has a ground in the town centre. So if you want, I mean, I don't even like rugby, but sometimes I go because my friends are like, do you want to come down to the rugby? And we go and have a few beers and you can walk home. Whereas you know, both Bedfords, our pitches are the other side of the town. You have to drive down there. If you're driving, can you have a drink? Those, those kind of things. Yeah. So there's there's multiple reasons why the rugby has been a rugby town, but the, rug, the rugby side has also struggled. It's never been able to regain a premiership position because it doesn't have a good enough ground. And Bed, Bedford's quite a deprived area. It doesn't really have the money that gets behind these things. Mm. What I actually think, I mean, the smart thing to do would be for football and rugby to work together. I mean, that would be the smart thing. So we, we've seen that at various places around the, you know, my brother goes to Wasps games. He lives up in Birmingham and they, they share a, a ground with a football club. Yeah. You know, there, there are things like that that I think sh- should happen. But no, I, I absolutely think it it can and it is possible. I think results drive attendance, um, which is, you know, one of the struggles because you probably, you know, someone like Bedford Town, they're doing really well this season, get five to 600 people. If they go up again, then maybe next year it's seven to 800. But there's like that lag with the crowd which means you've got a lag with the revenues, but you've got to forward plan your budgets for your players. Mm. But no, I, I absolutely do. I mean, the, the, there is there is two parts to this. I want to get 
Bedford in the Football League. And if I manage to do that, then the next question will be, well, how do we get them into the Premier League? It seems to me, Peter, you've you've actually picked a good time to start this project because more and more fans that we speak to are feel alienated by by the Premier League, shall we say, and by the Championship and by the money involved. And you talk about Bedford being a deprived town. A lot of people are being priced out of, of traditional football and are turning to women's football, to non-league football increasingly, to revive their enthusiasm. So this is something that I think the local people will hopefully be excited about. Well, yeah, and there's a couple of other things we're doing. So, for example, shirts. We'll have shirts going on pre-sale in the next couple of weeks. We're just waiting on the sample and, you know, trying to figure out the price because you don't want to to make it too expensive for people in Bedford, but you want to maximize your commercial. And I I know people in America will pay equivalent of about £60 a shirt, but I don't want to charge £60 a shirt for people who live locally. So we've just made the decision that, yeah, the shirt will be probably – somewhere between 50 and 60 pound but we'll sell the shirt at the ground for 30 pounds so people locally who are from bedford if they want to if they want to support us and get behind us they can come down to the club and they can they can get a a shirt pretty cheap also on the sponsorship side of things i'm essentially pricing out local sponsors you know if you think i've sold uh on the shirt alone i've sold uh front of shirt and for shoulders i've sold that for four hundred fifty thousand pound now we can get into why there's value in that but again that's unheard of we're, we're selling our shirt for more than clubs in league one league two perhaps even yeah. championship are selling it for um and our you know other premium sponsorships are, are, are you know are quite expensive as well local companies can't afford this but i'm i've got a chief exec and what we're saying is what can we do locally to promote local business for free what can we do for them? Can we have a section in the program? Can we have a section of the ground which is reserved for local companies and we give them free promotion? So again, by leveraging this international audience, this Bitcoin audience and these Bitcoin companies to drive this success forward, I'm able to do more things for the town locally that helps local companies and local businesses. And you know, if this is a success, it, it, it isn't just like something that's fun. It isn't just like, great, we've got Bedford in the the uh you know, in the league and created grassroots football we've also we're we'll be employing people we'll be an employer of, uh in the town and if we ever get into you know the league and we we can bring fans to this town and a waiting brings 500 people a thousand people that brings economic opportunity to the town as well so again you know with all the 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 kind of cynicism around it i if i get this right and, and i know a lot of people have come out with big promises in football before and i've read about billericke you know, if we do get this right, there is really only upside for Bedford, which is the most important thing. Just as a matter of interest, Kieran obviously is obsessed with the finances, but with me, it's the kit. So I have to say, Peter, what colour is your kit? So we are going with uh, the Bitcoin colours. Our home kit will be orange. Our away kit will be white. We wanted our away kit to be black, but that's one of the things I learned during the process. You can't have a black uh kit until you're in the championship so we're gonna have a black training kit um so we in some ways we look a little bit like wolves or luton at the moment okay you said in december we're just a couple more questions for you peter Mm because i know time's an issue for all of us but you said in december you were still coming to terms with what's involved in running a football club so how is that going are you surprised by what running a football club entails and are you learning quickly yeah so I mean, the biggest eye-opener is the amount of things you have to think about. There is just <laughs> yeah. so much, you know, match day, training, the team. There's so many little tiny components that go into running a football club. And, and now I understand why all these volunteers exist around the game because there is just so much to it. But 
you know, we've come to terms with that. We've put, prepared something which is called the, uh, the Bedford Bible. And, you know, we're creating every element that there is within the club and how can we, you know, improve it and make it better. So that was one of the things. Um, the other thing that's really struck me is um, it's not, oh God, I'm probably going to say something that I might get uh, hammered for, but it's quite unprofessional how some people do things. Like I, mm. I'm, I consider this a business and I'm not ashamed to consider it a business because every football club's a business. And my history is running businesses which are profitable. And so I just want to run a very well-oiled professional business. But there's so many aspects around it that I've seen that it's just really unprofessional. A lot of little side conversations, little snidey remarks or you know, people talking about other people behind their back, which is stuff I just don't have the time or patience for. And I'm I'm just kind of clearing out within what we do. But that's a bit frustrating. And another thing that's frustrating is that you know, foot, football and football clubs are struggling financially you know, across the leagues, especially outside of the Premier League. I mean, just look what's happened at Derby right now or Reading where yeah. I was born. You know, yeah. Look what happened at Blackburn with the Venkies. Like all across football, there's lots of problems with financing. Yet any attempt by someone to come in with new ideas is met with instant skepticism or that's not how football should be done. And I think actually what we should do is embrace new ideas within football. We should embrace opportunities. And you know, our, our, all our finances are going to be transparent. If you go up on our website, you know, put the first month's accounts up there, everything's going to be fully transparent. And I'm fully happy to you know, white label this and say, look, we'll share anything we're doing. I mean, ha- hashtag United, another great example. You know, they have people who criticize them, but look at the amazing stuff they've done down there. Look at the number of teams they've done. They've, they've merged now with, uh, was it Basildon to create the female team? You know, yeah. They've created a successful business. They understand media. They understand social media. And what are they doing? They're creating more football opportunity for people. So I think we should embrace these new ideas and push it forward because you know, if every team that gets this right creates more football opportunity within their town creates more economic economic opportunity for the people who live there it it's interesting to hear you talk about the resistance to new ideas because there are a lot of people myself included who who love the traditions of football you know love the old kits love the old badges love the old nicknames but sometimes tradition and conservatism are are quite close together aren't they And, and football i find is quite a conservative with a small c industry sometimes well, there's a really great book called Who Moved My Cheese? Um, people don't like change. And I recommend people go and read that book. But people don't like change. People are resistant to change. And some of it I get and understand. Like some of the change within football and you know, up with the top level of football in the Premier League, I get that. It, it, it sucks that people cannot afford to go to the game or maybe they can't afford to buy their kids' shirts. I fully understand that and I appreciate that. At the same time, the Premier League is the most unbelievable product. It's addictive to yeah. watch. The football's incredible. My question really is, like, how do we get that to spread a bit more down through the leagues? I mean, I, uh, the Premier League benefits from a healthy uh, uh, football league and a football league yeah. benefits from a healthy non-league. But the Premier League, it feels like they're a little bit greedy with their money and a little bit greedy with how they do things. I think, like, how do we embrace the change that supports local football, that supports non-league, but doesn't actually destroy the heritage? Now, Peter, final question. You're mm-hmm. clearly all over this project. You're, you're, you know, this is your baby, your project. But you did promise, you absolutely promised not to interfere with the day-to-day running of the team. Are you keeping that promise? I am my my only my only my only question with that right now is I'm like I can't get them to spend the money quick enough. You know oh, we have oh, a chance oh. this season to get into the the 
the playoffs and I'm like, spend the money. Here's the budget. Go and spend it. But no, absolutely not. I, I mean, what do I know? I know nothing about the, the management of a team. I don't know who you pick at what point. I, 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 I can be nothing but a backseat manager if I, if I was. And But I think that's like there's important things that you have to like flags in the ground. You have to put out there when you, you start a project like this. And one of them is I, I won't interfere with the team i'm actually trying to recruit i know this is probably a bit unheard of for a team at our level but i'm 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 recruiting for a sporting director and i absolutely want that person to be the gap between me and the managers because i want to have i I do want our club to have a an ethos behind it behind its playing style and managers come and go and i want us to keep that i want us to have a program for player development you know and i think i found the guy who can come in and be our sporting director and you know if that happens in the summer we'll have it but no i and the other thing is like I have to travel a lot with work. There are times where I have to be away for a couple of weeks and I need to know that the people at the club are running it in, in the right way. So yeah, I'm not going to be getting involved in that. I'll, uh, I'll have a sporting director who, who will do that for me. Peter, I think your ambition for your football club and for your town is fantastic. And I'm genuinely quite excited just talking to you. And we will definitely be talking to you again uh, as it develops. But in the meantime, thank you very much for joining us and we wish you all the best uh, with Bedford FC. If uh, if listeners want to find you on Twitter or the name of your podcast, could you just give us the details? Yeah, sure. They can follow me on Twitter. It's just my name, at Peter McCormack, P-E-T-E-R-M-C-C-O-R-M-A-C-K. And if you want to follow the podcast, it's called What Bitcoin Did. It's on Spotify, YouTube, everything. So you should be able to find it. Well, Kieran, I- he's a force of nature I mean he's he certainly talks a good fight doesn't he um yes and his uh I think Peter's ideas uh are very progressive in the sense that he knows his particular industry very well and he can leverage on the back of that to uh get a a broader fan base for for his investment in Bedford um, and to to sell it on an international level in the sense that uh, you know Bedford is as a, as a town has, uh, has has a limited you know it's already got it's got another football club and it's, it's got rugby clubs and so on um, so yeah fascinating stuff um, I, I, the things which really hit me as well was that yeah the, the headlines will be he wants to take a club from the tenth tier of English football to to the EFL uh, and ideally beyond. But at the same time, he was extolling the virtues of grassroots football, Absolutely, improving yes. community, having a women's team, creating opportunities for kids through having youth development. And all of those things, which, which tend to go under the radar, uh, are always to be applauded. Yeah, I also like the fact that he acknowledged that his ambition is such that he realises he's pricing out local sponsors. So he will find new ways of helping out local communities and find new ways of local businesses being able to get their name out there so it's 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 a fascinating i think it's the beginning of a really interesting story and i can't wait to see how it plays out and i'm fairly certain we'll be talking to peter again uh, at some stage in the near future uh, thank you all for listening if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our pod and that's very kind of you then go to patreon.com forward slash price of football but remember Price of Football will always be free to air. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show for our regular Monday questions pod, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. 
Well, once again, folks, thank you very much for all the support for the show. Thanks for all the questions. Um, you know, Patreon is one method of supporting the show. But if you want to give us just just some good karma, if if you go on to the um, if you go on to the app that you use for the podcast, the Apple app, Spotify, whoever it's Google Podcast, whoever it's going to be. Um, and, and you can help us in the charts, which adds to our credibility when we're trying to get guests. Um, if, if, you, if you'd like to give us five stars, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Uh, we're, uh, we, we do try our best. Um, and it doesn't apparently matter what you say. You, you could say you'd rather the show was broadcast live from a party in Silvio Berlusconi's garden hosted by Roland Rat as the DJ on the decks wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us. It just helps us in the charts. Do you know what? I'm convinced there are people listening to this pod just for that bit at the end, just to see who you suggest should host the show instead of us. Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the